So in text coding and also in, in visual programming, the thing that I most often find myself struggling with, and this is, you know, because I'm a, a filthy casual, as they say, I, I pretty much only use uh, dynamic languages or at the very least languages that aren't Haskell-esque in their strictness. The thing that I struggle with most is when something goes wrong and I don't get a result that I expected, and I find myself wondering, well, I, I see what result that I have, and I know what result I wanted, and I don't know what happened when or where in the process that produced the result I have instead of the result I expected. And a lot of different attempts have been made to help programmers deal with these sorts of questions. There's the aforementioned, you know, very strict functional languages that sort of force you to attend to all of the different possible consequences of your program and sort of make it so that your program won't run unless it runs quote unquote correctly, though, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean in the way that you want. It just means in the way that the computer can make some guarantees about how that will run. But then there's also things like tests. You know, you write your tests so that you can try and specify behavior. And that's where you get all the BDD versus TDD, that kind of nonsense. But the experience that people in game dev have, I think, is the most illustrative of the fact that we don't have a great solution to this problem. Because there have been some attempts that I'm aware of made to add more automated testing or specification to game development. And it's very different, at least from what I've seen, from the sorts of testing and specification done for software that is intended to run to completion and to produce output whether that's, you know, servers or, or CLI tools or what have you, in games, you have this, you have this persistent environment where for as long as the program is running, and the program will continue running until you tell it to stop running, it will continually produce ever varying outputs uh, based on inputs. But there's some notion of continuity to all of those inputs and outputs. And, and you get this sort of big state space and you're sort of constantly bashing on this state space and it's evolving based on the, the evolution of the gameplay. And it's sort of this dynamic between the player and the, and the non-player entities in the game that sort of drives that forward. And so something like automated testing can be used in very small ways for some parts of it that are unit testable, perhaps. But as soon as it gets to talking about things like artificial intelligence routines, or, you know, the way this, that the graphics are, are rendered, so shading and that sort of thing, or maybe the way that the physics works in the games, or, or things about the game logic itself, those things are much harder to test. And they're much harder to test because there's not an easy way to sort of box in the sense of what it means to have a correct result, you know, much like, you know, how do you write tests for, for how a web page is rendered? Well, you can render it at a known resolution and say that the pixels need to match exactly to this previous evaluation of the CSS. So if you, you know, if something in your CSS changes unexpectedly, it's going to produce a visual diff and, and you can point to that. That's, that's, not really super useful when it comes to working with with graphic-y kind of stuff. And I think games encapsulate that perfectly. So when I'm doing that kind of work on my own, 
um, and I get a result that I don't expect, I can't reach for static tools. I can't reach for testing. I can't reach for tools that come from this run to completion world. I need to instead reach for tools that are meant for more kind of interactive exploration of a space. And in text-based programming, in, in traditional um, environments, you have REPLs, which, you know, you have your your program runs continuously, and you can ferry code over to it and evaluate that code and look at results and sort of build up your program interactively. And in games, there are similar things. They're not quite the same as REPLs from uh, Lisp, but they are similar, where you you build tools that let you experimentally modify your game as it is running and give you feedback continuously as you are working on it in a very Brett Victory sort of way. And so I want to bring that experience to other kinds of programming as well. And I want to bring that experience to the small of programming, not just the large, not just your full running game with all the characters and the physics and the animations and all that kind of stuff where you're, where you're tweaking at that very, very artistic level distant from the code that generated it. I want to bring that experience right to the code. And so to answer a question like, why did I get this result that I didn't expect? The thing that I often wish I could do is I often wish I could grab that unexpected result and rewind time and say, let me roll back time to see where this result came from. What were the functions that returned this value? Uh, what were the inputs to those functions? And there are debugging tools out there that let you do it in a textual way. But if you've used a step debugger to move forward through execution, at least when I've done that, the experience I often have is that I'm focused on one very specific value or maybe a couple of values at a time, but I'm not really able to get a comprehensive overview of my whole program when I'm doing step debugging. I'm not really able to step through and observe one part of the program at the same time as another part of the program. And that's because in most of these cases, these programs are single threaded. They are meant to give us this programming model where you are used to working with a single thread of execution that is evaluating a single instruction at a time on arbitrary amounts of data, but you're only thinking about one change happening at a time. And so when you are step debugging, you are moving in this very, very fine grained sense of scale where you're looking at um, you're looking at that single execution uh, or that single function or that single operator or whatever it is and its data and the context around it you're able to sort of step through um, bit by bit but if there's some remote part of your program that operates with a different notion of scale like if you're you know if you have some outer shell part of your program that is dispatching work off to these very large subsystems and each subsystem has its own subsystems you know that that outermost layer operates with a, a different feeling of time from those innermost layers and so when you're step debugging you're always forced to work with time at this most granular level or you can do the thing where you skip over a function entirely 
but that that doesn't really let you jump back and forth between those things in a really interactive sort of way. You're not able to jump up and down the ladder of abstraction with that sort of thing. And and from what I've seen of the of the very fancy debugging tools that you know experimentally let you uh, do like time travel debugging where you can rewind the state space of your program and and sort of explore that. They still don't do anything to change the fact that you are you're sort of being coerced by the tool into exploring it at a at a predetermined time scale or a predetermined choice of time scales so with you know time travel debugging like you see in you know in the in the examples from elm or that sort of thing or or from closure has a lot of these where you have a slider and you can say you know take me back to previous states you know that slider chooses a granularity of time and then any step debugging that you do within that state space also chooses a granularity of time for you and so that's something that drove the design of hast to what it is where the execution model is strictly arranged in time everything that happens takes a certain amount of time to do that kid gets on the top of the water slide and has to slide all the way down that water slide to get to the other end there is no attempt made to to, there's no attempt made to make stuff run as fast as possible when you are in the debugging experience with hest now when you're in the you know, hey, I built something in Hest and I want to run it, then there is a notion of, hey, I want this to run as fast as possible because you don't want the user of your code to have to wait (laughs) while things are happening an arbitrary amount of time based on the way that you've constructed your code. You want that code to, you know, run as fast as it can to, to, to produce the result that your user wants it to produce. But when you are working on the code, you want to be able to slow that time down to a time scale of your choosing and you want to have tools that let you jump up and down time scales very expressively but also with very precise control and so some of the things that exist in hest in order to make that possible and to make that feel good are things like uh, when you are working with hest one of the big tools on the left side of the interface is a big time slider um basically and it's you know zero at the middle and positive infinity at the top and negative infinity at the bottom and you got this big thumb and you push that thumb up and time rolls forward and all the kids on the water slides start sliding down the water slides and getting painted red and blue and what have you and you grab that big time slider and you pull it back down to zero and all of those kids freeze in place and you can take stock of your entire program at once just because it's in space everything has a you know a position in space and you have a free camera and you can go looking around and see okay this piece of data is on its way between these two functions and that piece of data is on its way between those two functions and you can kind of you know freeze your system and explore what's happening and let's say that a piece of data has a result that you did not want it to have you just focus on that piece of data and grab that big time slider and push it down into the negative 
and the program begins to execute in reverse, unrolling all of the things that it had been doing, and you follow that point back where it came from. So the kid slides back up the water slide and goes back through the red paintbrush and is unpainted red and turns back into whatever color they had before that. And that lets you see, hey, this this function here has two edges coming in and one edge coming out. And so two data points came into that function and produced a single data point as output. So when you're rolling back time, you start with that output point and you follow it back up to that function and it splits into two data points. And at that point, you might decide, okay, I can see that one of those data points is what I expect it to be, but the other one isn't. So the one that isn't is the one I'm going to continue following backwards and you resume rolling your program backwards. And that sort of forwards and backwards movement through time happens at the rate of your choosing. And so you might think, okay, I see what's happening here in a very fine way. I'm looking at this one function and a couple of points that are moving through it. I'm rolling time forward and backward, forward and backward, kind of, you know, jiggling the time slider up and down and looking at these points sliding back and forth and sort of seeing, okay, I see what's going on here. And then you think to yourself, okay, I, I'm good with this, but I need to go look at something that happened quite a while ago. So you, then you grab the time slider and you pull it a little further down and the program runs in reverse um, more quickly. And then when you get to this, the point in time where the things that you're interested in are happening, you return that time slider back to the center and stop and take a look. And so it, it gives the experience of debugging the code that is very familiar to anybody who is used to working with other timeline-based software, working with uh, uh, you know music editing tools like Logic or Cubase or Fruity Loops or whatever, or video editing tools like DaVinci Resolve or After Effects or any of those kind of things where you do a lot of scrubbing in a very fine way or you set a little loop region around a certain moment in time and you just loop that over and over again and interactively make some changes until you're happy with what's happening in that little moment in time and then you zoom back out and you throw the time scrubber you know a minute two minutes ten minutes into the past and start watching or listening forward from there and just seeing things unfold as they go and so that experience of working with time very explicitly that you get in animation tools in video editing tools in audio tools is an experience that i have not yet seen in any serious programming tool and so a lot of the decisions i'm making for hest are based on trying to bring that experience to programming to to make programming feel like it feels to edit music or edit a video or edit an effect sequence so that's that's sort of the motivation behind the execution model behind having points that travel along lines that take a known amount of time to travel along those lines to uh you know to have that that ability to control the speed at which execution happens and to be able to reverse that execution. Also, there's a lot of decisions that were made uh, because time needs to be reversible. You need to be able to move backwards and then forwards again and to get the same result every time, no matter how far you move back, no matter how fast you move back. That needs to be something that is uh, that is very robust. And so... I mean, considering the fact that I'm building this in JavaScript, it's a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm doing I'm doing what I can to make that possible. <laughs>